Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Russian President Vladimir Putin called the U.S. dollar's drop in dominance, quote, objective and irreversible during the recent BRICS summit in South Africa as Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa formally agreed to use local currencies instead of the U.S. dollar. It's the first shoe to drop. As demand for the dollar weakens, the buying power of the dollar also weakens. That's why Birch Gold Group is busier than ever. Investors and savers are looking to harness the power of physical gold held in a tax-sheltered IRA. Text Monica to 989-898 for your free info kit on gold. Thousands of happy customers, an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and countless five-star reviews, you can count on Birch Gold to help you navigate transitioning an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. As the U.S. dollar continues to receive pressure from foreign countries, digital currency, and central banks, arm yourself with information on how to protect your savings. Just text MONICA to 989-898 to claim your free info kit from Birch Gold Group right now. Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley, and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Tuesday at the start of a new week. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and yes, happy warriors. Don't forget to check me out on social media. On Instagram, I'm at Monica Crowley underscore, and on Twitter and True Social, I'm at Monica Crowley. Also by email, I'm at Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. All right, guys, a few really big announcements. First up, tomorrow is a show you do not want to miss. We are going to have a very special show with a very special guest because tomorrow we are going to be joined by 45 and 47. President Donald J. Trump will be here, and we've got a lot of things that we want to talk to him about, maybe in ways that you haven't yet heard. So this is very exciting for me and for you, I know, and hopefully for President Trump, too. (laughs) President Trump on the Monica Crowley podcast. That is coming up in a very special show tomorrow. So you are absolutely going to want to be here and you're going to want to tell all of your friends, your family, and your colleagues that if they're not already listening to the show, they need to start today. Today. All right, guys? So big, big, big program coming up tomorrow. Also, a little housekeeping note starting this week. This show will be two days a week. I'm working on some other things, some other stuff, including some writing. So this show will be on Tuesdays and Thursdays for the immediate future, except for this week, because we have President Trump tomorrow, it will be Tuesday and Wednesday uh, this week. So you will still get all of this Monica goodness just on Tuesdays and Thursdays instead of Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So do not worry. I'm not going to let you down or abandon you. I'm still going to be here with amazing shows. And finally, today, we're going to talk with Raheem Kassam, editor-in-chief of the National Pulse, which has just been relaunched, and it's on total fire. It is a go-to website if you want the truth, okay? Raheem is a truth bomb thrower, and he is moments away here today. Big things happening on the Monica Crowley podcast. Do not miss a second of it. Okay, first up, though, the Monica memo. On your mark, get set, go. 
boom, and we are off. We are off in the presidential sweepstakes, actually on both sides of the aisle. And this is going to be your go-to for exactly what's happening in the Republican race for president and the Democratic race for president. Oh, Monica, we don't have a Democratic race for president. Uh, Yeah, we do. Especially after Joe Biden wiped out last week. He fell on the stage, and we talked about this uh, last week. He fell at the Air Force uh, Academy graduation, then getting off Marine One, he whacked his head. Then as he was walking over to the press corps, he went to salute the press corps. Then he did that stiff dementia walk. So, no, I don't think anybody uh, truly believes that Joe Biden is going to be the Democratic nominee, unless, one big caveat, unless the Democrats have a crisis plan ready to go for next year, like they did in 2020, where they released a virus, shut down the global economy, and burned down the country with Antifa and Black Lives Matter. That was their crisis plan to stop Donald Trump and advance the Great Reset. And it worked. It worked. It also had the effect of keeping demented Joe Biden in his basement so he didn't have to go and do rallies you know, for all three people that might show up. He didn't have to go into the country. He didn't have to uh, talk in front of small little crowds who could give a crap. So unless they've got a major crisis plan, which now that we know what the deep state is capable of, who knows? Another pandemic, more deadly, who knows? I mean, the one thing that the left really does have, which we lack is imagination. So it's entirely possible that they could pull a trigger and launch some crazy thing that is, in our moment right now, totally inconceivable, just as a global pandemic shutting down the worldwide economy was inconceivable. They could have something up their sleeve that we just haven't thought of, something that's unfathomable in this moment, uh, in order to run this demented hack Uh, who is absolutely, totally corrupt. And in the next segment, I want to talk about our corruption chronicles here on the show. Um, But it's entirely possible that they could do that. And Joe Biden will run. I mean, they'll do a weekend at Bernie's situation, just prop him up with a stick up his back and run him again for president. But absent that, uh, they got real problems. And it is also entirely possible that Joe Biden will not be the nominee. Neither will Kamala Harris. We've talked on this show about Michelle Obama. When we speak with President Trump, I'm going to ask him if he's prepared for all of this. I mean, I know he's prepared to run against the demented uh, nursing home patient at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. We know that. But is he ready for someone else? Is he ready to take on a Michelle Obama? Is he ready to take on a Gavin Newsom? We're going to ask him. Because I think we all need to be prepared for the worst case scenario here. And again, knowing now what they're capable of, they will do anything to hold on to power, to destroy this country and advance their own agenda. We know that now. They don't care how many people die from a pandemic. They don't care about how many people lose their livelihoods for shutting down the economy. They do not care. These people are absolutely sadistic. And the glee with which they carry out their sadism is really something. Evil. Evil. So now we got to wait and see what these evildoers are ready to, to do here, especially if Donald Trump uh, is the nominee. But in the end, it doesn't really matter to them who is the nominee because they will pull out all the stops to destroy that person. And when you start to see some of these Republican candidates, and I mean, God love them, right? I mean, they're, they're smart, they're accomplished people, they're, they're talented leaders. I'm talking about Governor DeSantis, Nikki Haley, They're not going to be the nominees, in my opinion, absent something crazy that that is going to come out of nowhere again. But all of these people, as talented as they are, as smart as they are, not a single one of them has confronted the deep state the way Donald Trump has. I mean, Governor DeSantis, an extraordinary governor, amazing. And yet, you know, running at the national level is a whole other ball of wax, as he is finding out. So if, if 
you know, any of these people cannot effectively run a national campaign. And remember in 2015, Trump was like feeling his way. So I'm not judging anybody. You got to get your sea legs when you're running a national presidential campaign. And I think a lot of these people, including the governor, will will get their acts together and find their sea legs and, and plow forward and get more used to it and more fluent in the language, right? More comfortable on the national stage, dealing with the national press and all of that. And we will see how they will all evolve. Again, they're smart, so they will evolve in a good direction, I assume, or they will flame out. But none of them have confronted the absolute evil within, which is our administrative state and our deep state, that is ready to go with a portfolio of completely made-up attacks like they had ready to go on Donald Trump with the Russia hoax. They've got portfolios of made-up lies and global attacks Remember, the Russia hoax involved American actors, British actors, uh, Russian actors. I mean, this was on a global scale, okay? Donald Trump did not see it coming, and yet he plowed through, and he is still standing. My worry is, for these other Republican candidates, if any of them begin to emerge as a threat to Trump or whatever, you are going to see the deep state move. They are going to take action They're going to mobilize their portfolio on the person and they are going to go and take them out at the knees. Again, this has nothing to do with what a great governor DeSantis has been or, you know, how effective Nikki Haley was at the UN. They don't care about facts or the truth. They only care about taking Republicans out at the knees. Goes all the way back to Richard Nixon. I'm working on something, a, a writing project on this, which you know I'll tell you more about as we go down the pike here. But that is their mission. So it doesn't, in the end, it doesn't matter to them whom the Republicans nominate, Trump, DeSantis, whatever. They are ready to go to attack that person and marginalize them and then ultimately remove them from the scene. And my fear is that none of these other people as talented as they are, are ready for that. I mean, Governor DeSantis on the national political stage, you know, he has some good days and some little not-so-good days, right? Well, if he can't handle Iowa, how is he going to handle the deep state, the security state, coming at him with a pack of lies like they did with Donald Trump? That's all I'm saying. This is not a commentary on any individual candidate, okay? I like them all. I think they're all great. But this is a war, and we need a wartime president. This presidential horse race now is, uh, is really getting hot. Okay, so there are a bunch of different polls coming out nearly every day. All of them now show Donald Trump leading his nearest competitor, Governor DeSantis, by 30, 40 points, depending on the state certainly the national polls. So Trump remains totally dominant here. We're going to get into our government's corruption and how it is directed toward Donald Trump in the next segment. But despite everything coming at him, and despite everything that has come at him in the last eight years, the man is not just standing, but the man is thriving, dominating the Republican field. In fact, in uh, Florida which is home state to both Trump and DeSantis, you got a new poll by Big Data Polling, which shows that Trump is leading DeSantis by 20 points in DeSantis's home state. They've got Trump at 52.5% and DeSantis at 32.6%. Um, again, you know, take that with a grain of salt. I'm not doubting the numbers. I think Trump is that dominant. But remember, a lot of people in Florida love Governor DeSantis. They love him. They love his leadership, and they don't want him to go. Because I'm not sure he has a strong enough successor that's sort of obvious to everybody to keep Florida on the freedom path. So these polls might just reflect that, that Floridians want him to stay put, right? 
Now we've got other people entering this race. Uh, former Vice President Mike Pence is entering today or tomorrow. Um, he's polling in the low single digits. I mean, I think a lot of Republican voters um, who love President Trump are just not going to go for a betrayal of sorts from his vice president. I don't think that Mike Pence has a natural constituency, maybe some social conservatives, uh, but beyond that, he's not going anywhere. And then, of course, the role on January 6th, totally debatable. Uh, you know, Trump says he had the right to stop the certification, send it back to the states. A lot of that is, you know, being debated here, there, and everywhere. Um, but I think the base just does not trust him and will wholesale reject him. I don't think he's going to get out of the low single digits. Then you've got former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, who is entering this race uh, either today or tomorrow. Uh, Chris Christie also has no chance. A lot of people say people enter a presidential race to bump up their name recognition, to up their uh, speaking fees. They could say, I was a candidate for president, so instead of charging $20,000 a speech, I can now charge $40,000 a speech. Whatever. A lot of people do that, and a lot of people also run because they're auditioning for vice president, and they want to prove to the ultimate nominee that they are good on the campaign trail, they're good on a debate stage, they're good with people, and people like them. Um, Chris Christie is not entering this race for any other reason except to be the junkyard dog to go after Donald Trump. I mean, Nikki Haley, Governor DeSantis, they might snipe at Trump's uh, ankles, you know, be an ankle biter <laughs> here and there. But they're not going to just wholesale level broadsides against Donald Trump. They're not going to do it. They don't want to alienate the MAGA base by doing that and piss everybody off, so they're not going to do it, okay? So it's going to be left to Chris Christie, who is very eagerly awaiting that role. He will take that on with gusto. He will go right after Donald Trump on a debate stage and just machine gun the guy rhetorically. And that's what he wants to do. That is his mission. That's what the donor class and the Republican establishment have sent him into the battle to do. Chris Christie is not going to be the nominee. He's not going to be the VP. He's not going to get a cabinet position. His political career is basically over. And he knows that. So he is going in as a sacrificial lamb, as, as a kamikaze fighter. He's just going to direct his little single-engine plane, kamikaze-like, right into Donald Trump to try to chip away and attack the guy. Is it going to work? Doubtful. Doubtful. Every time Donald Trump has been a punching bag, it only strengthens him. His poll numbers go up. So, I mean, come on. <laughs> it, I don't think it's going to work. They'll put on a good show. And it's what the donors and the establishment want. So that is what Chris Christie is going to do. When you've got this pile on, and now it looks like Jack Smith, who is the Merrick Garland special counsel on the classified documents thing at Mar-a-Lago, looks like he's going to bring an indictment probably on obstruction of justice, whatever. It's another nonsensical thing that Trump is going to have to deal with over nothing. But every time you get another brick laid on Donald Trump, every time there's another punch, Donald Trump emerges stronger because people now perceive him as the underdog. Donald Trump, the ultimate alpha male, former president of the United States, is perceived paradoxically as an underdog when you've got this massive pylon on him. So Chris Christie can get in the race. It's certainly his prerogative. He can certainly try to beat up Trump. But I'm telling you, every time they try this, it doesn't work, and yet they can't not do it. Uh, finally, on the GOP side, uh, Senator Tim Scott, who is just a wonderful man. I mean, he's an absolutely wonderful man. Um, he is also in the presidential race on the GOP side. He went on The View, to his credit, to try to correct the record, try to correct the record of, you know, these ridiculous, crazy hens 
on that show with all of their racism. I mean, so much of actual racism is on the left and the view shows that every single day. And they just, they, they disregarded uh, Tim Scott. They, they put him down. So to his great credit, he showed up on the show and Sonny Hostin asked him about systemic racism and American exceptionalism. And I want you to listen to Senator Scott's response. Roll it. One of the things I think about, and one of the reasons why I'm on the show, is because of the comments that were made, frankly, on this show, that the only way for a young African-American kid to be successful in this country is to be the exception and not the rule. That is a dangerous, offensive, disgusting message to send to our young people today, that the only way to succeed is by being the exception. I will tell you that if my life is the exception... uh, I can't imagine. But, but I can't. But it imagine. is. But it's not actually. Here's here's. It's been here's 114 years. Yeah. So so the fact of the matter is, we've had an African American president, African American uh, vice president. We've had two African Americans to be secretaries of the state uh, in my home city. Uh, the police chief is an African American who's now running for mayor. The head of the Highway Patrol for South Carolina is an African American. Still in exceptions. 19, in 1975. Um, there was about 15% employment in the African-American community for the first time in the history of the country. It's under 5%. 40% homelessness And 50% of, African-American 50% of the folks get, in our community. Yet 13% they, oh, I, of the population. You had a chance to ask the question. I know that I've watched you on the show that you like people to be deferential and respectful, so I'm going to do the that same thing. That is true. And here is Senator Scott saying black progress in America is palpable. Listen. So here's what I'm going to suggest. I'm going to suggest the fact of the matter is that progress in America is palpable. It could be measured in generations. I look back at the fact that my grandfather, born in 1921 in Sally, South Carolina, when he was on a, on a sidewalk, a white person was coming, he had to step off and not make eye contact. That man believed then, with some doubt now, in the goodness of America, because he believed in having faith in God, mm-hmm. faith in himself, and faith in what the future could hold for his kids, would unleash opportunities in ways that you you cannot imagine. Every kid today can look, just change the stations and see how much progress has been made in this country. ABC, NBC, CBS, ESPN, CNN, Fox News all have African-American and Hispanic hosts. So what I'm suggesting is that the yesterday's exception is today's rule. And then he went on and he talked about how America has really improved uh, for black Americans since his mother's time, sharing an extraordinary family story, etc. I mean, Tim Scott just put on a master class in clapping back against the communist left. And of course, you know, the, the hens of the view just, they, they were out of their safe space. So at one point, Whoopi Goldberg, who herself is black, got up and stood behind Sonny Hostin. And and the two of them like clung to each other. I mean, they were afraid of what Tim Scott was saying about how America is in a constant state of self-improvement and how the lives of black Americans have improved because this country is not just great, but it's good. Oh, those are warring words right there for Whoopi and Sonny. They had to literally cling together on the set. And you notice who wasn't there yesterday for Tim Scott's tour de force was Joy Behar. I don't know what her story was, but I guess she couldn't take the truth. These people are disgusting. But I will say this about Tim Scott. I mean, God bless him for doing what he is doing. And he actually does have a chance to be Trump's VP. He actually is in the running for that. He's not going to be the Republican nominee for president, but he could be number two. And I will say this, that his contribution is moments like this on The View, which otherwise might not get much attention, but this time gets a lot of attention because he is a candidate. So good for him. He is uh, just, he's such a lovely man and I wish him all the best. And, uh, you know, perhaps he is on President Trump's shortlist. We shall see. All right, we're going to hit a quick break. When we come back, uh, we've got Raheem Kassam coming up here in just a couple of minutes. I also want to take on uh, the latest on this uh, corruption of our own government and Joe Biden. Sit tight. Okay, everybody, listen up. We all want to be healthier, right? Well, to get there, we have to have a healthier diet, which is not always easy to do. I can attest to that. You know, that shredded lettuce in a double-double 
and the fruit filling in a donut are amazing, but they do not count toward the recommended five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. Sorry to be the one to break it to you, but they don't. I don't always eat healthy either, but I will share that the Mayo Clinic says if you want to help prevent heart disease, lower blood pressure, and cholesterol, eat five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. I don't, and you probably won't. That's why I take Field of Greens. Unlike other supplements, each fruit and each vegetable in Field of Greens was medically selected by doctors to support your vital organs, like the heart, lungs, kidneys, and the immune system. Flu season is here, and I trust Field of Greens to help me stay healthy. Field of Greens works fast and tastes so good. It's really delicious, guys, and you'll feel better with more energy and you'll notice your skin, hair, and nails will look healthier too. I certainly noticed that in me since I started taking Field of Greens. If you don't always eat right and exercise, join me and take Field of Greens. Let me get you started with 15% off your first order. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. That's promo code MONICA at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. Okay, welcome back. Before we're going to be joined here by Raheem, and we're going to talk to him about the GOP race, uh, Biden, the Democrats, and some other things. But before we get to him, I want to detail here the corruption chronicles of the left, the latest on where we are on all of this. I mean, it is long past time that we impeach Joe Biden. I don't know what's taking so long. There are a million things that we could um, impeach Joe Biden on, including the border, dereliction of duty, negligence. I mean, there are a million things. But his family's corruption, his longstanding deep corruption is at the center of all of this. Now, maybe the Republicans are getting all of their ducks in a row. I hope that they are. It sounds like Senator Grassley and Senator Johnson on the Senate side, even though they're in the minority, are doing really important investigation, uh, are doing really important investigatory work over there. And then on the House side, our friend uh, Chairman James Comer of the House Oversight Committee, he is really Johnny on the spot with this and good for him. So the latest here is that uh, yesterday, the Oversight Committee chairman, Comer, he was able to take a look at this FBI-generated form. It's called an FD-1023 form that allegedly describes a $5 million criminal bribery scheme involving then-Vice President Biden and a foreign national relating to the exchange of money for policy decisions. Okay, guys, textbook bribery. This is something every American can understand, right? This is not some complicated thing. Bribery, everybody understands that, and it qualifies as a high crime and misdemeanor. Comer said that he is going to now begin the process of holding FBI Director Christopher Wray in contempt of Congress because despite viewing the document on Monday, The severity and complexity of these allegations evidenced in this document requires that Congress has to investigate further. But again, the FBI refused to hand over this document, which, by the way, is unclassified. So it's not like they can say, well, we can't release it, or it's part, they're trying to say it's part of an ongoing investigation, which is what they always say when they want to hide and stonewall documents. But the FBI, even though they allowed oversight to take a look at this document, they have now said that they cannot turn it over. So you can see it, but you can't keep it. Bullshit. So now Comer and McCarthy is backing him up, but they're going to move on Thursday with contempt of Congress hearings going to start on Thursday. The FBI responded by saying that the move to hold Ray in contempt is unwarranted, as the Bureau has, quote, continually demonstrated its commitment to accommodate the committee's request, including by producing the document in a reading room at the U.S. Capitol. Oh, sure, sure. So you can look at it in a skiff, 
a secure compartmentalized facility for this kind of thing. But that is only meant for highly classified, top secret material. Why are they showing members of Congress this document in a skiff? It's unclassified. Why? Comer said that FBI officials confirmed yesterday that the unclassified FBI document, quote, has not been disproven and is currently being used in an ongoing investigation by a confidential human source who provided information about the vice president by being involved in a criminal bribery scheme. This person is a trusted, highly credible informant who has been used by the FBI for over 10 years and has been paid over six figures, Comer said. So this isn't some fly-by-night guy. This isn't some rando. This is a trusted human confidant. This is a trusted human source for the FBI, so much so that they've paid him over six figures over a period of time to feed them information. And the Democrats are out there, Jamie Raskin with his bandana, trying to talk about, you know, how this is just hearsay and it's, this, it's not trustworthy stuff. Nonsense. Nonsense. And we had Anna Polina Luna, who's a congresswoman from Florida, come out yesterday and say that the FBI has now said that they can't guarantee the personal safety of this uh, informant and that they fear he could be killed if he's exposed. What? What? What is he in the Clinton's crosshairs? I mean, the FBI should be in business of protecting human sources, right? Oh, they're going to throw them to the wind. That comment sounds like a threat to me. Nice life you got there. Would be a shame if something happened to it. Our FBI and DOJ act like an organized crime syndicate. You want more proof? James Comey went on Jen Psaki's show on MSNBC I mean, I'm not watching that show. I don't know if you are, but she's one day a week and she's getting some big guests and Comey went on and when he was asked about who he might support for president, oh, uh, Director Comey, you know, you are a registered Republican still, meaning you're a, you're still a GOPer and Trump is a bridge too far for you, right? Um, so Director Comey, 2024, who are you going to support? Listen. It has to be Joe Biden. And and I'm glad he's willing to serve. It has to be somebody committed to the rule of law, committed to the values of this country. And I, I'm not talking about policy. People can disagree about policy. There are things above those disagreements that all of us should think about the same way. The president must be someone who abides the law and our Constitution. And there's no one else but Joe Biden. All right. Well, I mean, obviously, the guy was a militant anti-Trumper while he was director of the FBI. He was undermining and destroying this man and his presidency from within. He is engaged in criminal activity, and yet he's writing crime novels. I guess write what you know, right? Dude is writing crime novels when he's a criminal, and he's out there on MSNBC, okay? But his statement there is completely self-serving. Because if Trump is reelected, he is going to be in the crosshairs. James Comey is going to have to answer for all of his crimes. So he is saying, well, it has to be Biden. Well, duh, for them, of course it does. The way it had to be Hillary, you see. And uh, finally here, James Comey was asked, what would a second term of Donald Trump look like to you? Roll it. Well, think about what four years of a retribution presidency might look like. He could order the investigation and prosecution of individuals who he sees as enemies. I'm sure I'm on the enemies list because the president constitutionally does oversee the executive branch entirely, which includes the Department of Justice, prosecutors and investigators. And so he could commission direct that individuals be pursued. So, of course, the communists are always masters of projection. They accuse our side of what they themselves are guilty of. So they have spent the last years targeting their political opponents and putting them in prison or trying to, from Donald Trump to the J6 defendants all the way down, Steve Bannon, you name it. 
General Flynn, Roger Stone. This is what they have done because they're petty little communist tyrants. And he, Comey is out there trying to say, oh yeah, well, if Trump gets in, oh, we better watch out because he's going to do that to us. They're the actual criminals, not our side, them. You see how cleverly they flip it all around? And all the idiot leftists who watch MSNBC and CNN believe this bullshit. That's the problem, right? we got to break through all of this, and that's what this show is all about. All right, we're going to hit a quick break here, and when we come back, we're going to be joined by Raheem Kassam of the National Pulse, a conversation you're not going to want to miss because he is totally on fire. We're coming right back. Well, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome my very good friend and one of the smartest people I know, the founder and editor-in-chief of the National Pulse, which is now new and improved. It's an absolute go-to website with must-read pieces every single day. I don't know how he does it, but he constantly pumps out must-read investigatory groundbreaking uh, material. So you've got to go to the National Pulse. You can find them on the web, thenationalpulse.com or on Twitter at the Nat Pulse. And of course, the mastermind behind all of this, the absolute genius is my friend, Raheem Kassam. Raheem, welcome. Too much. It's too much, but thank you. I really appreciate it. Well, um, it's absolutely we, uh, true. Sometimes, sometimes I feel the same way, by the way. <laughs> like how how we get so much information out in any on any given day is, I think, just a testament to the wonderful staff we have over at The Pulse now. And, and we're growing. So if there's anybody out there in, in podcast land that's looking to be a writer, yeah, feel free to reach out. Well, that is a, a really important point. And I have to say, you know, I've been following the National Pulse for quite a while. And you've always done this. You've always done really important, path-breaking investigations, getting them way, way earlier than anybody else, Raheem, and just pumping out the volume of really important material that you're doing is just extraordinary. And now it's like on steroids. So before we get into <laughs> other things, and I want to get into the GOP race with you, and the Democrat race, because there is one on that side. Can you tell us about the relaunch of the National Pulse? Yeah, I, you know, I think I am just a, a news consumer like, like everybody else, right? But, but I'm, I'm hyper-engaged. It's, it's my job. I'm a nerd, uh, especially when it comes to politics and, 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 and common culture. And I just found myself at my wit's end every day having to go through, you know, eight, nine hundred words from the New York Times where it's sort of, you know, these stories open up by saying, you know, on a cold and dusty night in the middle of Kansas, a man pulled over to the side of the road. It's like, yeah, I don't have the time. Tell me what the story's about. You know, and the story ends up being about, you know, the budget or something. You yeah. Know? And, I got so bored of that kind of journalism. It's lazy, I think, even though they, they pretend it's not lazy because they put so much kind of time into it. I think it's lazy from the point of presenting an information to your audience. I think it's far better and far more difficult, by the way, to exercise brevity, to keep things tight, to keep them short, to respect your audience's time, to get them in, get them the information and get them out. So we rebuilt the National Pulse with that as the ethos that we're not going to go really over 300 words on most of our stories. Uh, we link out to other things that we find either reliable or respectable, um, if people want to read a bit more on that subject. But we really condense the information down really tight. And so we're doing, we're doing shorter, tighter, punchier stories, but we're doing a lot more of them now. And I think that's probably the way... Um, people are going to be consuming this news more and more. You see it on the left. You see it on the globalist uh, side of, of media. Axios, Puck, Punchbowl, Politico. You know, these places are, 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 you know, they're presenting information to a hyper-aware political audience. And they're not doing it where you get either bored to tears or flooded with advertisements all over the page. In fact, we've removed almost all advertisements from the National Pulse. And you don't even see 
our own internal ads if you become a member of the national pulse. And, and that's the other part of what we've done here is we're not corporate reliant. We're not backed by any big donors or any funds or anything like that. We are people funded, right? By the people and for the people. And what I mean by that is, you know, we do the Pulse News and it's all free. You can go to the nationalpulse.com. That's all free. But we've decided to incentivize people to support real news by providing, you know, exclusive analysis, um, editor's notes on stories where I actually can tell you a little bit more about kind of what I'm hearing here on Capitol Hill, a little bit about what the gossip is on a certain subject and a little bit about what to look out for. We have a private members um, chat channel where they can discuss the stories and, and talk to us. Uh, I'm in there, our writers are in there, our back-end staff are in there. So they get an interactive feel to the news cycle as well. Um, and there's just a whole lot more. So people can go there and judge for themselves. And the best part of it is is the first month, your first month is on me. I've already said, like, you can sign up. We're not going to take anything out of your bank account. If you don't like it after the first two weeks, three weeks, right up until 30-day mark, just cancel it, you know? But I'm so convinced that people are going to realize that, A, this is the way to put your shoulder to the wheel in tackling big corporate media. And B, it's actually a quality, high-quality product that you like sharing with your friends and family because it looks good and it looks tight and it's high-end and the graphics work and the fonts are all good. And, you know, those things matter. Aesthetic matters. You know, Monica, how often do you think, oh, there's some really good information in this article I read on, and I won't name the website, but like on this conservative website, but it's so ugly that I feel ashamed to share it with people. <laughs> they think this is some nutbag site. And, and this is kind of what we're doing here is like, hey, you know, conservatives are understand aesthetic and cool and pretty. And we also understand tight and punchy news copy. So there you go, thenationalpulse.com. Well, I have to say you've done a brilliant job in remaking it because it really does look, when you go to thenationalpulse.com, it looks like the Financial Times. And I mean that in the best right. possible way, that it's got this beautiful gloss on it, the font, everything is very sophisticated. And that is important. You're absolutely right. right if you want to drive traffic and eyeballs to the site to actually read the content. And then when you get to the content, it is, you, you are really breaking stories. You've broken so many stories that the, the propaganda press takes a year plus on to break. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, well, we broke this on the National Pulse a year and a half ago. Um, so you're breaking yeah. news. You're doing in-depth investigations. But to your point about the brevity of each story, it's almost like, mm. it's almost like, um, a sophisticated blogging site. And by keeping it right. short to 200, 300 words, you get the essence of the story out and you can move a lot faster than, say, the New York Times. Yeah, you can, you can pretty much know that if you're going to the National Pulse, um, you know, at, at the beginning or at the end of your day, you're going to be caught up with the important narratives of the day. Um, we, we, and, and, and here's the thing. I respect people's time because I respect my own time, right? I am a consumer and I'm thinking about it, a news consumer. I'm thinking about it from the perspective of a news consumer. And um, I, I think there's a certain level of, I think, respect, mutual respect that comes from, from news organizations and the consumer back and forth when you actually treat each other that way. Too much nowadays, I think, is focused on how, how long can we keep somebody on the site? How many ads can we serve them? How many pop-ups can we get them? We're not doing any of that. You know, I'm a newsman and I prioritize the news first. Um, that's why I'm hoping people will join so that we can, you know, grow the site and it's, you know, well supported financially. And look, if it doesn't, it doesn't. That's the market, right? That's, that's capitalism and the consumer speaking. But I, I, I will report this to you. After just two weeks, we have thousands of members on the site now. Um, I think we're verging on almost 4,000 members on the site now. And, uh, you know, I want to hit 10,000 by the end of the year. So, you know, again, the website is simply thenationalpulse.com. Come and join us. Absolutely. And really, if you're not checking it out, you're really missing out on the core, the, the truth. I mean, I in my uh, monologue today, Raheem, I, when I was plucking your appearance mm. today, I said you are a truth bomb thrower. <laughs> and I think that is the perfect description. Very accurate. But you're throwing truth bombs. Can you give us a sense of, say, what's on the National Pulse, what you're breaking today? 
Yeah, I'm I'm always known, by the way, for for what do you call it? Double fisting cocktails. One is the martini, and the other is the Molotov. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> and you look very chic doing it. You're you're sort of the James Bond of the MAGA movement. <laughs> yeah, well, but um, yeah, it has to be it has to be for me um, a martini with a twist. I don't like the olives. Just FYI. <laughs> Duly noted. <laughs> I didn't even get to your question. Remind me what it was. Oh, the, the, the question is, what do you have up, say, today on the National Pulse uh, website? What kind of stories are you breaking this week? Yeah, so, you know, we, we cover a variety of different topics. And I think um, from geopolitics and, of course, you know, there's the um, Ukrainian dam that has been destroyed. But of course, what the rest of the media will tell you is, you know, the Russians destroy this dam in Ukraine. Fine, that may be true, okay? But it's a little early to tell. So our story is sort of like, look, um, here's what one side is saying. Here's what the other side is saying. Oh, and by the way, uh, in the Washington Post in December of last year, the Ukrainians actually conducted a HIMARS test strike on that same dam, which, of course, the corporate media will not want to tell you. So there's things like that where we add value to stories because to existing stories, right? The sort of stories you can, yeah, you can read them on the BBC News if you have the time to read a thousand words on that. Um, but they won't tell you kind of the, the contextualization, um, what I just think of as realism in the world, right? Other stories, we, we like to break ground on things. For instance, a lot of people have started to notice that Twitter's community notes function, which is a fact check function, um, that's built into Twitter, has started to become weaponized in the GOP primary. And it's very interesting because a lot of DeSantis um, staffers uh, and, and volunteers are using this community notes thing to try and shut down criticism of Ron DeSantis on Twitter, which I find extremely, extremely, extremely ironic given these people are, you know, have for years been talking about free speech and, and slamming the quote-unquote fact-checkers alongside us, they've now turned into the new fact-checkers. So, you know, we have a story on that this morning as well. We obviously cover the uh, the day-to-day, the tap-tap along on, uh, in Congress and in the White House. Uh, but then we also say, for instance, go deep dive into reports. And there was one recently, yesterday, in fact, that came out that showed how many people were actually saved by Western nations' lockdown measures. And it turns out that about 4,000 people in the U.S. were potentially saved by the lockdown measures across the country, and just 1,700 people in the United Kingdom were mm. potentially saved by the lockdown measures. The, the authors of this report basically saying, um, you know, uh, for, for what came of this massive lockdown, the economic miasma, other people suffering in other ways, you know, cancer patients dying on masks because they couldn't get to an NHS doctor during the lockdowns and all that kind of stuff, is actually a negligible effect. Uh, of the lockdowns based on based on you know what it actually achieved. So yeah, we go we go across the gamut and we pull out the most interesting uh, stories. We got a whole more host of them uh, <laughs> coming up today. The writers are busy bashing them out right now. And then the process is for me. You know, I go and I I headline them, I image choice them, I fact check them, I copy edit them, um, and then boom, they go out. So it's 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 an intense news day, um, but I love those. You do it all. Really, you are you are the MAGA ringleader. Apart from Donald Trump himself, who I've got on this show tomorrow, <laughs> uh, you are right there. I'm and you're, you're, about that. I'm going to listen to that one. Oh, well, sure. well I, I hope you will. Thank you. Um, but yeah. you are really so important to this movement and to, to America and to the truth. And as everybody can hear your British accent, I mean, you really believe in the American <laughs> ideal and you've got the passion of the converted. You know, you've got the passion of somebody who has seen it on all sides and realizes how precious uh, American freedom really is. And you bring it to every single piece that you do for the National Pulse and all the stories that you break. And I I just, I I so value you in every way. Okay, Raheem, I'm going to ask you to please stand by. Much more with the great Raheem Kassam coming straight up. Okay, we're back with Raheem Kassam of thenationalpulse.com. Let's turn, um, if we could, Mm. to the Republican race, and then we'll deal with the Democrats as well. So the GOP Mm. race, the battle is now joined. You've got a very crowded field, which is exactly what Donald Trump wanted. It's got real 2016 (laughs) energy to it, doesn't it, Raheem? 
Yeah, I think everything is starting to feel like 2016 again now, right? And and not just directly in the race where you kind of have a like-for-like Ted Cruz type in Ron DeSantis. I mean, he's even run, his campaign is even run by the same people who ran Ted Cruz's campaign in 16. And I would argue, by the way, that Cruz was a better candidate. Uh, the Ron DeSantis. I think a lot of the polling is actually showing us that most people think that too at the moment. But it's also 2016 because of something like this. And and think of this, because I haven't heard anybody talk about this yet. Um, But this is the sort of kind of analysis, and I'm I'm actually going to do an analysis piece for the National Pulse on this. And by the way, Monica, I want to make sure that you know, uh, because your article in Newsweek was amazing uh, recently, and I just want to make sure that you know that you've always got you know, space at the National Pulse whenever you want to publish. Um, Thank but you. I'll be publishing about next year. You have European parliamentary elections, U.S. general election, and the British general election mm. all in one year. And you remember in 2016, we had the dovetailing of Brexit and Trump. Well, you're getting a sort of similar thing that is going to happen. Because what's the biggest topic in British and European politics at the moment? immigration, mass immigration, mass unchecked, uncontrolled, um, unquantifiable immigration. You're seeing that, of course, on the U.S. southern border uh, as well. So I think in more ways than one, um, this feels like this feels like 2016 um, redux. And people can read into that you know, what they want. Is it good? Is it bad? Um, I don't, all I know is it's ugly and it's going to remain ugly. So, you know, it's interesting you bring up 2016. I remember the night that Brexit was called. I think it was July mm. of 2016. It was in the summer. Um, June, July, June August. June 23rd. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad you could recall the exact date. And I remember watching late into the night uh, the analysis of this vote. And it was at that moment. And I was with Donald Trump from the very beginning, June of 2015. Mm. But when I saw the Brexit result emerge, I said, that's it, Donald Trump is going to win. Because I, I really yeah. felt deep in my soul. And I felt it viscerally, Raheem, not even intellectually or politically, but viscerally. I felt like the populism that was sweeping across Western Europe and was evidenced by the uh, Brexit vote was certainly going to come mm-hmm. here, that it was certainly taking root and it was being missed by the pundits and the their donor class and the establishment and the press. And I said, that's it, he's going to win. And from that moment on, I had absolutely no doubt. Do you think that that kind of nationalist populism is as strong today as it was in 2016 across Western Europe and here in the U.S.? Well, look, claim to fame here, by the way, I'm the only person in the world who's been in both the official Brexit night victory parties and the Donald Trump 2016 victory party. Um, because, and I did that because, well, number one, I'm, as you mentioned earlier, I'm an, I'm an American zealot, right? Like in, yes. in, in what I love about this country and how I go about trying to defend it. Um, and I, I put sort of a foot on both sides of the Atlantic as a result of that and, and spent my midtown Manhattan days, you know, in that Hilton ballroom after the Trump victory, you know, by the way, I can't tell you. I was one of very, very few people in there at the beginning of that night. <laughs> and the results started to come in. You saw a lot of people running into the room wanting to be seen in there uh, as they started to realize that Trump was going to do it. And of course, June 23rd, I mean, the reason I can recall the date so uh, readily is, Monica, that's our Independence Day, right? Mm-hmm. That's like July mm-hmm. 4th to you. Right. Um, that is when we declared as, as in the largest plebiscite in British history that we no longer wanted to be part of a union that didn't seek our approval for its trade policies, for its migration policies, for its taxation policies, for its tech policies, for its regulatory policies. And we just had to take it and we had had enough. And I think you're starting to feel that go on again. And in the United States, it's obviously very easy to see why. You know, your commander in chief cannot even stand upright on a stage, let alone um, you know, steer the country in the right direction. And of course, people understand that he's not really running the country at the moment. You know, it's the people who are behind him and the people who especially, you know, I like to think of about this, by the way, as Barack Obama's third term. Yes. It's those sorts of people who are steering the ship and they are steering it straight into the rocks. From a European perspective and a British perspective, very similar frustrations apply. 
this lockdown story that I mentioned earlier is, is one of those things that has led people realizing, hey, you know, guess what? Government doesn't know best after all. And that's, a, that's been a hard lesson. Look, I'm 36 years old, so I guess I'm a millennial, right? Um, but that's been a very hard lesson to learn for millennials who kind of grew up under the auspices of soft socialism and being told that the nanny state had the answers to their problems, despite older people warning us, you know, not to listen to that garbage. So many people bought into it. And now, by the way, a new study that's going to be published on the National Pulse today shows millennials are moving to the right. There's hope. I mean, that is very encouraging news. That's hope. And it sort of is reminiscent of Churchill's famous line that if you're not a liberal when you're young, Mm. you have no heart. And if you're not a conservative, by the time you're 40, you have no brain. Um, I think (laughs) I think reality is very cold and brutal to a lot of these kids who are indoctrinated into socialism, Marxism. They think it's cool. They love the idea of equality. But what they're not taught, Raheem, is that because human beings are inherently unequal. You know, we're all gifted with different uh, strengths and weaknesses and talents and abilities. Um, Because of that basic fact of humanity, the only way you can get true equality is through the barrel of a gun. They're not taught that. And so they love this amorphous idea of equality and Scandinavian socialism. That really works. It's all nonsense. And then they're mugged by reality and they come out the other side. Um, before we get you, let you go in our final moments here, I just want to get your read on the Republican race. Donald Trump is completely dominant. Mm. He is still the 800-pound gorilla. And as you reported, um, and I saw you on War Room yesterday with Steve, you were talking about how yeah. it, it looks like DeSantis has actually lost ground since his announcement. Yeah, that's, and, and that's absolutely right, and it's utterly predictable. You know, I said this, I think, on, on uh, Kimberly Guilfoyle's show uh, right after uh, Ron DeSantis' Twitter space launch. I said, these people are too online in their thinking. They act and, and, and enact campaign policies as if, you know, as if they were leftists. They do the same thing. They act, I mean, honestly, I don't mean to be this offensive, but it's like that campaign is run by a CNN exec. It's that out of touch. And I saw this coming. I said, listen, if you launch a campaign, you really want a five, 10 point bump, maybe even more. You want to show the donors that their money is being spent well. You want to show the activists that it's worth knocking on all these doors. You want to get those small dollars in. You want to be able to pump up your polling numbers. Uh, You know, yes, then you can sort of tweet about them, right? But none of that had occurred. And it seems to be that they're just running a very online campaign. Um, you know, aimed really at Elon Musk and, 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 and the people who follow Elon Musk. And yes, there are a lot of those people, but they're not, they're not digesting political information uh, on a Twitter space. It just doesn't work. So, so then you start to think, okay, well, maybe he doesn't get a bump in the polls. Maybe he just stays where he is. Oh, <laughs> he's actually starting to slip in the polls now. Um, from Between February and this month, uh, Ron DeSantis has lost Two points in the, in the Rasmussen head-to-head tracker. And you might say, okay, yeah, fine. Well, that's in the, in the margin of error, which is three points for a poll like that. Um, so look, maybe he stayed the same. <laughs> the problem with that, with that attitude, with that mentality, is in the same study, Donald Trump picked up 13 points over the course of that time. So if I'm Ron, if I'm his strategist right now, I go, oh my goodness. We've, we've totally done this the wrong way. We canceled the launch event in person. We did it online with Elon. We've had you know, story after story of just complacency. Our staff are getting into Twitter spats on the internet with 16-year-old kids and the media is mocking us. It's just so silly. Yeah, and, it's, and it's starting to look really silly. And you know what the worst part of this moniker is? Is that Ron DeSantis is a pretty good governor and they've ruined him. They are ruining him in real time and we're watching it take place. Um, I feel terribly for him because it is the consultant class around him that's doing this. It's not his idea. Um, and listen, they're all going to walk away with $400 million in, in their respective pockets, right? Divvied up amongst them. What's he going to walk away with except, except a battery? Yeah, I know. And, you know, I said this early on that my greatest fear, because he's been such an effective governor, my fear was he is walking right into a buzzsaw. 
and the, all of these consultants yeah. and all of these, uh, you know, big money donors, they don't care about him. They just want to stop Donald Trump. And they realize that he was probably right. the best one to take him on and, and, and sideline Trump. But it's going to ruin him for 2028, and that is heartbreaking because he's incredibly talented and and probably the best Republican governor we have had in decades. And yet this, and they appealed they appealed to his ego and and everything else that this is your time and you don't want to be Chris Christie and miss your window <laughs> of opportunity. And they played to the vanity, and I get that every politician is vain in some way, but I mean, it, it, it strategically this I, I think is very stupid. I also think, though, that the cards he is playing, he is banking on this idea that the left, whether it's Jack Smith or one of these Soros DAs, is going to succeed in putting Trump in prison. And if that is the case, God forbid, but if that's the case, then DeSantis will be the obvious default candidate. Yeah, I think that's right. But I also think at that point in time, it will leave so many people out in the country disenfranchised. That I don't think Ron DeSantis will be able to get over the line, right? I think, I think a lot of MAGA voters who are kind of only Trumpers at this point um, will just sit that one out. And yes, it will hand it to the left, but they'll sit that one out because what's the point in a crooked system where you can't even have your candidate on the ballot, you know, because the state has persecuted them so much? At that point, they're forcing you into a compromise, and that's a compromise that a lot of people just won't take. As much as I hate to say it, because that's terrible. Another four years of Biden, Obama, whatever it is. Um, would would be an epic, epic disaster. Yes. But this this idea that they are waiting for uh, the government to intervene to stop the former president being the president again, that's absolutely what they're waiting for. I hate that about them. Yeah, I know. I do too. I do too. Um, okay, final question before we let you get back to work at the National Pulse, yeah. Saving America. Um, what is your sense of the Democratic side? Because I think anybody, any sentient human being taking a look at Joe Biden and what a decrepit, incapacitated, corrupt hack he is, just doesn't think that he is going to make it. What is your sense of Biden and who ultimately might be the Democratic nominee? Yeah, so I still think he does make it. And I think he does make it because it's for for them, it's going to be better the devil, you know. Um, I think there are a lot of skeletons in the closets for for Newsom that they really don't want to start uh, pulling at that thread. Um, I think potentially, potentially, um, Kamala would be the would be the next uh, logical choice there. But yeah, a Biden, a Biden second term victory wouldn't he, I don't think he'd see out the entire term, uh, but I just don't think they're necessarily going to change the top of the ticket right now. Um, there are other options. People have their people have their suspicions that you know Michelle might be getting in and, and and all of this. I'm still of the belief that the left are pretty risk averse. It what it's what kept Biden in the basement for that whole last campaign. Um, it's the risk averse strategy. That's I think where they'll end up. And listen, I, you know, I, I have a lot of sympathy with the left on this because I think there's still a lot of old leftists who prefer somebody like RFK, um, who prefer somebody who, who who would return to the roots instead of instead of you know corporate globalism being the philosophy of the prevailing philosophy on the political left today. Um, but hey, that's your party now, own it, right? Or leave it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, Brendan Straka has uh, walk away. So there are a right. lot of people actually walking right. away, which is a, a good thing. It's going to be very interesting. I, I disagree with you a little bit. I mean, I agree with you that they're generally risk averse, but I think that they, they selected Joe Biden and installed him because he is a demented hack and they could easily control him. Um, and I think the CCP was part of this, along with our deep state and so on. Mm-hmm. But I, I think unless they have a major crisis plan for next year, the way they did in 2020, and I mean a global crisis plan to stop Donald Trump, where they can uh, isolate Biden like they did last time, I just think that they don't want to roll the dice. They've made too much progress on their great reset. And if they think that Biden has the slightest chance of losing, and we know they're going to rig 
everything. But if they think that there's a slight chance that he might not be able to do this, that they may not be able to do this, I think they're going to want to back a stronger horse. And that's why I I don't discount Michelle. um, And I don't discount, you know, maybe Newsome and you say there are skeletons there. I hope so. I can't wait to hear them. I will look, I will look to the national polls to give me that gossip. Um, But I just think that things are so fluid. And once what was once unthinkable in every direction, Raheem is now thinkable. And it's entirely possible they could dump both him and Kamala and and pull a rabbit out of the hat here with Michelle Obama or someone else. But that remains to be seen. Yeah, or Jamie Dimon or, you know, whoever. Uh, I, I'm not saying that, um, you know, there's no chance of these things. I just And, and by the way, I... I what you're saying is is rational. You know, they they should be looking at the numbers and realizing how far upside down they are. I just think when you look across the field, I mean, it's not particularly impressive. And I just don't think that there's any. I mean, can you imagine Gavin Newsom standing up on a debate stage against Donald Trump? I mean, I think Joe Biden would do a better job. Quite frankly, <laughs> he's so oily and sleazy. Um, you know, it's it's one of those it's one of those made for TV moments where this guy's just going to sort of sweat through his lizard skin shoes or whatever. It's just it's just going to be awful. But you know, it remains to be seen. I um, gosh, for the future of this country, you know, I, I certainly hope you're right in the sense that um, I think the I think the Obama third termism has to come to an end. But I don't think. Newsom or anybody else is going to offer anything better. Well, we shall see. And it's certainly going to be an exciting year and a half for sure. And you are going to cover it all and more at the National Pulse which you can find on the web, thenationalpost.com. It is a must-read. It is a go-to website. It's right at the top of my list. Now, really, I mean, you check it out in the morning, all day long. They're breaking news in every direction. It's all stuff that you will not see anywhere else. And it's all uh, investigations and news that the propaganda press does not want you to know about. So you must go the nationalpulse.com on Twitter at the Nat Pulse. And of course, Raheem on Twitter is at Raheem Kassam with two S's, Raheem Kassam on Twitter. So please go check it out. Raheem, you are the best. I adore you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Speak soon. You got it. Okay, that's going to do it for me today. Thank you so much for joining me, as always, and for checking out our great sponsors. We all really appreciate that. Tomorrow, a huge show here on the Monica Crowley Podcast. We're going to be joined by the one and only President Donald Trump. He's going to join us right here on the Monica Crowley Podcast. Not to be missed, tell everyone you know, and I will see you right back here tomorrow. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.